This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Sport of Pro Wrestling podcast. I am Chris Samsa, and this is your New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Climax 30 Night 9 Preview. The G1 Climax returns on Monday, October 5th with an A-block card from Takamatsu City Gymnasium in Kagawa after the longest break in the tournament, a whopping three days. The stack block currently sits a little top-heavy with half the block tied at the top of the standings with six points. And four of the five block matches on this card will feature wrestlers from that leading group, and the card will be headlined by the highest stakes match of the night. Will Ospreay and Kota Ibushi, both part of that top group, will do battle for the top spot in the block standings, and what could very well be a pivotal tiebreaker as the tournament enters its second half. In the semi-main event, Taichi will seek his fourth victory of the tournament as he faces Tomohiro Ishii. Third down the card will be the ninth career meeting between two generational legends, as Minoru Suzuki will look for his first victory over Kazuchika Okada in over seven years. Further down the card, Jay White will look to get back onto his winning ways against Jeff Cobb, and the block matches will kick off with Shingo Takagi's attempt to score his second win of the tournament over the winless Yujiro Takahashi. Of course, you can find my complete statistical breakdown for every competitor in this G- this year's G1 Climax at VoicesOfWrestling.com. I have interactive, sortable tables for NJPW's 2020, detailed results and statistics of all 1,500 G1 Climax matches to date, as well as this year's tournament broken down into a nice handy box score at SportOfProWrestling.com. And you can let me know what you find when you drill down those sortable tables by dropping me a line on Twitter at TheChrisSamsa. So this card will come to us on October 5th, 2020 from Takamatsu City Gymnasium. Uh, The time will be 7 p.m. JST. So that's my favorite NJPW start time because for me that is 5 a.m., which is kind of a normal wake-up time. Uh, Over on the East Coast, 6 a.m., also really a, a nice breakfast show. Uh, As you get further west in Denver and San Francisco, you're a little bit earlier, so you're at uh, 4 a.m. and 3 a.m. And let's throw the London time out there. It looks like it's going to start at 11 a.m. Monday, uh, London time. And of course, you're going to watch this event live or on demand on njpwworld.com. And the best way to use NJPW World is with NJPW EXT. NJPW EXT is the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like synchronized viewing parties, dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. Visit http colon slash slash NJPWEXT.us today for details. So let's take a peek at where we're at with the A block. So like I said in the intro there, the A block is top heavy. So five of these guys are at six points. So at three and one, we have one person at two and two, three at one and three, and one at 0 and four. So at the top, we've got Jay White, Kota Ibushi, Will Ospreay, Taichi, and Minoru Suzuki, all with six points. 
that middle guy, Kazuchika Okada. He's 2-2 two and two on the tournament, so looking to make a surge towards that top, but he is currently trailing. And then, uh, you know, coming up on the rear here, you've got Shingo Takagi, Tomohiro Ishii, and Jeff Cobb with two points. Um, kind of the big beefy boys all just hanging out there with just one win on the tournament. And then, of course, uh, with zero points, Yujiro Takahashi flirting with elimination uh, super early in the tournament. So a little bit surprising there to see, I guess, Taichi and Minoru Suzuki performing so well early in the tournament. Not not a super surprise to see someone like Jay White, Kota Ibushi, or even um, you know Will Ospreay, uh, after having kind of figured out the heavyweight style, living at the top of the block. Um, the surprise as you head down, I guess, Kazuchika Okada not starting off super hot. Uh, always primed to go on a run and win a bunch of matches in a row. So we, I, I, we certainly can't count him out. But to see him struggle at the beginning is a kind of a new situation for him. Shingo Takagi and Ishii and Cobb, they all finished last year's tournament with eight points. So they could still improve upon that, but they'll have to rattle off, I guess, four out of the next five wins to do better than last year's tournament you can imagine that at this point they're each strategizing just to land equal and Yujiro Takahashi no one expected much from him but it is the G1 so you can always figure that uh, some of those underdogs are going to pick up a win maybe when it's you know most meaningful for them for their future as they go forward and try to set up some matches later on in the year. If we look at something like match length right now, kind of surprising is that Shingo Takagi has had the longest matches in the block, uh, averaging 19 minutes and 49 seconds. And then uh, right behind that, you've got Jay White averaging 19 minutes and 22. So um, that is kind of indicative that going long isn't necessarily an indicator of success most times, where because Takagi, while he's been really challenging to defeat, hasn't he's only pulled out the one victory and that was the longest a block match so far which was against Tomohiro Ishii the other night at Cork and Hall we've got quite a few uh wrestlers with really similar statistics in the match length category all between one hour and six minutes and one hour and nine minutes in total ring time you've got Kota Ibushi Will Ospreay and Kazuchika Okada and then right above that you know really leveraging that longer Main event match he had with Shingo Takagi the other night is Tomohiro Ishii at 1 hour and 13 minutes. So um, a lot of parity in this block. There's not a lot of huge um, difference between the amount of time these guys have had in the ring. And that may come into play here as the tournament progresses because the more time that you spend in the ring, the kind of less energy you're likely to have as the tournament progresses, especially as the matches become either higher or lower stakes. Um, These guys are going to battle hard. So as we go through the tournament, we're going to have to talk about tiebreakers a lot more. So right now, At the top of the block, you've got six guys within two points of each other. So on any given day, any of these six guys could end up at least tied for the lead, right? So Jay White, Kota Ibushi, Will Ospreay, Taichi, Suzuki, and Okada. 
So as we progress through the tournament, we will call out some key tiebreakers, especially at the top of the block. So let's start with Jay White. Jay White's key tiebreakers, so um, wrestlers that are within two points of him at the lead. Uh, his key tiebreakers right now, he's got tiebreakers over Kazuchika Okada and Kota Ibushi. And then let's look at Kota Ibushi. He's got key tiebreakers uh, over just Kazuchika Okada. Let's look at Will Ospreay. He's got key tiebreakers over, let's see, Jay White. Taichi has a key tiebreaker over Minoru Suzuki. Suzuki has a key tiebreaker over nobody. And Kazuchika Okada has a key tiebreaker over Taichi. So as we look at things that way, I think it's fair to say that Jay White still really leads the block because he's got two tiebreakers over people that could tie him tonight. He will not seek another one of those right now as his first match back after this tiny little break is just against Jeff Cobb, who is further down the block. But we will have a few matches that will tie into that scenario at the top of the block, and uh, it'll kick off with the main event tonight. So that's Kota Ibushi and Will Ospreay. In the main event from Kagawa, Kota Ibushi and Will Ospreay will meet in a Wrestle Kingdom 13 rematch and their third one-on-one match in 15 months. The Never Openweight Championship was on the line when Ospreay and Ibushi kicked off NJPW's annual Tokyo Dome event on January 4th, 2019, and looking back, the stakes and openweight nature of that match were very appropriate. Kota Ibushi has steadily increased his mass and stature during his tenure with New Japan, but his style has remained very dynamic, featuring strong strikes and high-flying maneuvers alike. One could make a case that Ibushi's style, while not typically indicative of the never-open-weight title's usual competitors, is the epitome of open weight. Will Ospreay has long been considered the preeminent high-flyer in professional wrestling, but that Wrestle Kingdom match was a pivotal turning point on Ospreay's path to the heavyweight division. Osprey focused his efforts more on striking than flying, nearly ending the match with a referee stoppage after an absolutely brutal hidden blade to the back of Ibushi's neck. Osprey did lift a nearly limp Ibushi up for a stormbreaker to end the match, but it may have been unnecessary as Osprey's ground strike had clearly defeated the defending never open weight champion. Osprey regressed back to his old ways as he returned to the junior division last year, and he struggled a bit through last year's G1 tournament. He entered this year's G1 Climax a true heavyweight after adding mass and evolving his style a little bit to account for larger opponents. Osprey may have removed the word aerial from his nickname, but he, like Ibushi, is still prone to use the airspace to deliver high-impact moves, especially when battling against an opponent like Kota Ibushi, who is likely to take to the skies in one way or another as well. This will be Ibushi and Osprey's third meeting and tiebreaker in their young trilogy, after Osprey's Wrestle Kingdom victory, they met again during the G1 in a main event from Cork and Hall. It was each wrestler's third match in the tournament, but Ibushi was already on a weak ankle, and Osprey was suffering from a neck injury that had kept him out of a multi-person match just days earlier. Ibushi was triumphant in that match, defeating Osprey in just over 27 minutes for his first win of the tournament, setting his path to an eventual G1 Climax victory. This year, after four days off, Ibushi and Osprey should both enter the main event refreshed and confident as they both sit atop the block and they are both coming off victories in their most recent G1 match. So let's take a peek at some of the details between these two. So, uh, like I said, both of them entering at six points, but these guys have very similar stat lines when we look at their ring time so far. 
So with just one minute and 44 seconds separating them, um, they both sit kind of near the top of the A block's competitors. And their average wins and losses both land within 80 seconds of each other in each metric. Like I kind of mentioned, this match could very well serve as a deciding tiebreaker as the tournament progresses. Both these guys are favorites to win a couple more matches as we go along here. Before tonight's block matches, there were five wrestlers within two points of both Kota Ibushi and Will Ospreay, but they both only have the one tiebreaker against those wrestlers, Ibushi against Okada and Will Ospreay against Jay White. Will Ospreay's average losing match length of 2107 is the highest in G1 Climax history among qualifying wrestlers, so that's wrestlers with more than 10 G1 matches. Ospreay's longest G1 match is that match against Kota Ibushi last year, which was 27 minutes and 16 seconds. If we look at 2020, uh, these guys are both 500, so Kota Ibushi's 4-4 four and four, and Will Ospreay is 3-3. Three and three. Osprey and Ibushi are two of the most difficult wrestlers in NJPW to defeat in singles action. They enter their head-to-head matchup third and fifth in average losing match length in 2020. Ibushi is third at 25-45, Osprey fifth at 24-33. Both of these wrestlers have been really efficient in their victory. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You get a display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. 
arenaclub.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three-in-one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2k clear sight see who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They are on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys, reach in my pocket, or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, one second doors unlocked much much easier so if you want to jump on board with eufy video lock search eufy video lock that is e u f y video lock again that's eufy video lock e u f y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door Ibushi and Osprey have the top two win-loss differentials in NJPW at 9 minutes and 54 seconds and 9 minutes and 40 seconds, respectively, each with over 9.5-minute difference between their average win and their average loss. So I'll explain that again. So if their average loss is going really long, it proves out that they're really challenging to defeat. And if their average win is pretty short, it proves out that they're typically dominating over the wrestlers that they're booked against. In the G1, Ibushi is 1-0 against Osprey. Uh, Ibushi and Osprey's 27-minute and 16-second match from last year currently sits as the seventh longest G1 block match to end in a finish all time. 
Already since that match, two block matches have gone longer, and one has matched their stamina. Sonata versus Okada last year, and Zack Sabre Jr. versus Tetsuya Naito went longer. Uh, Sabre Jr. and Naito, that, that was this year. And then this year's first B-block main event, Tetsuya Naito versus Hiroshi Tanahashi, matched their length exactly. So these G1 matches, uh, especially the main events, are starting to get long, and we'll see kind of how that plays out, especially as we continue to only have that 30-minute time limit. So that's our main event for the evening. That should be quite the quite the quite the event. Tough to call. It's kind of a push if you were talking about a gambling line on these two, especially as they both come in with six points and headed in the right direction. So the semi-main event will be Tomohiro Ishii versus Tai Chi. Ishii coming in with two points and Tai Chi coming in with six. In the semi-main event, Tai Chi and Tomohiro Ishii will renew the rivalry that carried them through the beginning of 2019. Taichi will attempt to notch his second consecutive G1 win against Ishii in what he is hoping is a repeat of their final block match in last year's tournament. Tomohiro Ishii seeks to leverage his victory over Shingo Takagi in Korokan Hall on Wednesday night to build his momentum as he looks to re-enter the group of favorites to land atop the A block in this year's tournament. That 26-01 victory on Wednesday night over Shingo Takagi for, for Ishii was the longest A block match to this point in the tournament, and the 15th longest G1 block match all time to go to a finish. When it comes to G1 Climax history, Tomohiro Ishii has averaged 8.8 points over the course of his last five G1 tournaments. He'll need to win four of his last five to approve upon that average. Taichi will only need to win two of his last five matches to improve upon his eight-point performance in his G1 debut last year. In 2020, Taichi's 8-23 win-loss differential is the third best in New Japan in 2020, behind only tonight's main event competitors Will Ospreay and Kota Ibushi. Head-to-head, these guys have battled five times. Tomohiro Ishii has the 4-1 advantage, though Taichi has the 1-0 advantage in the G1. Three of those matches happened in 2019. Ishii won the first two, both the New Japan Cup second round and the never-openweight title match that they had at Dominion, but then Taichi was able to defeat Ishii in the G1 uh, during their most recent match on the last night of B-Block action. So as we head down the card, we've got another match with a ton of meat on the bones. That's the ninth ever singles meeting between Kazuchika Okada and Minoru Suzuki. Okada enters this match with four points at two and two. Suzuki, three and one with those six points. Kazuchika Okada has had many rivalries through his storied career in NJPW, and while his win-loss record against Minoru Suzuki is almost entirely in the win column for the Rainmaker, few, if any, have taken Okada to his limits the way Suzuki has. Okada and Suzuki will meet in what may very well be another classic encounter between two generations of professional wrestling. Kazuchika Okada has looked less than dominant through this year's tournament, entering with a 2-2 record and without a truly defining victory since NJPW returned from pandemic hiatus. Okada has found ways to win, but the intangibles of those victories have left fans wondering if the Rainmaker has lost his way, focusing on a submission style, abandoning his killshot finisher, the Rainmaker, and looking generally slow and less confident than ever. Minoru Suzuki enters this match with Okada, having won five of his last six NJPW singles matches. Suzuki, over 20 years Okada's senior, has never struggled with confidence, especially when stepping through the ropes over the young Okada. 
but his recent hot streak may give him the extra boost to push him to his first victory over Okada in seven and a half years and his first G1 victory over the Rainmaker. So, of course, with nine matches of history to dig into, we can just jump straight to the head-to-head with these two because you can basically throw out anything that these guys have done otherwise. So, Minoru Suzuki and Kazuchika Okada have met eight times prior. Suzuki only won their first singles match, and that was back in February of 2013. Okada is 5-1-2 against Suzuki. Two of Okada's five wins have taken place during the G1 Climax Tournament. So that was in 2014 and 2018. Only those two victories over Suzuki would have netted him a win under G1 Climax block rules with a 30-minute time limit. Okada has needed over 30 minutes to put away Suzuki in his other three triumphs, including their most recent battle just over a year ago in London, where Okada defeated Suzuki in 33-25. So it stands to question whether Okada changes his strategy when he knows he's got a 30-minute time limit against Suzuki, and if he lets the match go a little bit longer when he knows that it's uh, maybe an IWGP Heavyweight Championship match, with that 60-minute time limit, a little more time to um, be flexible with how quickly he he goes after that victory. But just the fact that Suzuki can take Okada that long and can draw out that type of uh, performance from himself as well as from Okada does prove out that he could very well drive this match to a 30-minute draw. Uh, If not, send Okada over the edge, considering that they're both kind of on different trajectories right now. Here's an interesting one, though. Seven of Okada and Suzuki's eight matches have been slotted as the main event of the card that they were on. The only time they met below the top of the card was on February 10th, 2013, when Minoru Suzuki scored his only victory over Okada at New Beginning in Hiroshima. Okada and Suzuki will meet third from the top, in this match. So this will be the second time that they've ever met that isn't the main event, and that bodes well, historically, for Minoru Suzuki. So there's a lot to go into with this match if we wanted to. There's a lot of history to go into, um, but these are matches that, if nothing else, you should just go watch. Um, Dating all the way back to 2013, Suzuki gets a different version of Okada to come out. And it is um, typically really fun to watch, oftentimes successful for for Okada. Two time limit draws in there, so two 30-minute time limit, limit draws, and then a bunch of really, really good, highly competitive matches, even though Suzuki rarely can cross the finish line as the victor. I am a little surprised to see this match so far down the card, so like in the, in the middle of the block matches, but... With Suzuki as the never openweight champion and having been removed from the G1 last year and then Kazuchika Okada kind of um, struggling to prove that he's a main, still still in that main event scene since Wrestle Kingdom, really. Um, I guess no surprise that the New Japan matchmakers decided that this is the match that they were going to put into the middle of the card. And then as we head down the card, we've got a couple more G1 Climax block matches. Nothing too compelling, though, to be perfectly honest. We've got Jay White facing Jeff Cobb. Jay White entering with those six points and Jeff Cobb entering with two. Jay White will attempt to get back into into the win column after a challenging loss to Will Ospreay at Corican Hall in his most recent G1 match. Jeff Cobb, on the other hand, looks to notch some victories with just two points 
and a short G1 track record, he will need to rattle off a few victories in a row to keep himself in the conversation for future G1 tournaments. So that's something to keep an eye out with someone like Cobb, who hasn't necessarily established himself as a perennial G1 competitor. Those guys usually have to stay above eight points or in the eight-point range to get the invite back next year. So that's probably becoming Jeff Cobb's motivation as he recognizes how far away the top of this A block may be for him. Uh, Tournament to date, Jay White has been super consistent throughout this year's tournament. The difference between his longest match and his shortest match is only 1 minute and 42 seconds, the smallest of any competitor in this year's tournament. G1 Climax, historically, Jay White's methodical ways have really paid off for him. Um, His average... Winning match time of 18.04 is the longest in G1 Climax history. Jay White continues to flirt with G1 greatness also. He entered his match with Will Ospreay on Wednesday, second all-time in G1 winning percentage, but his loss bounced him all the way back to sixth. Now behind AJ Styles, Kenny Omega, Kazuchika Okada, and Kensuke Sasaki. Even with an underwhelming beginning of his tournament, Jeff Cobb's eight singles victory is in 2020 are still third highest in the company, behind only Evil and Kazuchika Okada. So that's clearly how he got the invite to the G1, but can he hang with the big guys and uh, get some more victories in Japan, whereas most of his victories came in the U.S. tours? Head-to-head, these guys faced each other once, and that was during last year's G1 Climax. Jay White with a kind of uneventful victory over Jeff Cobb in 15 minutes and 50 seconds at Hiroshima Sun Plaza. And the block matches on this card will kick off with Shingo Takagi looking to write his G1 tournament in a match that he should enter as the heavy favorite against Yujiro Takahashi. Shingo has never faced Yujiro Takahashi in a singles match, but in their most recent tag match against each other, Shingo pinned Yujiro in the World Tag League during their meeting last November. Shingo Takagi's one hour, 19 minutes, and 16 seconds in total match length through the four matches is the longest in A block, kind of proving out that going long isn't necessarily good because he's only got that one victory over Will Ospreay. Takagi's last two matches, a 26-01 loss to Tomohiro Ishii and a 22-01 victory over Will Ospreay, have been the two longest A-block matches in this year's tournament. Year-to-date, Shingo has been significantly better than Yujiro Takahashi, coming in at 5-5 on the year, having had a really nice never-open-weight championship run and um, continuing kind of his middle-of-the-pack ways in, in regards to actually getting some victories. Yujiro comes in at 1-7 and seven and uh, kind of only only seemingly getting worse as the year goes on. And in you know what has definitely been the most singles matches Yujiro has had in a year in quite a while. So not a ton of meat on the bones here for that first block match of the evening, especially considering Shingo and Yujiro have never faced each other in a singles match. And they're both certainly in kind of different phases of their career. Shingo looking to right his ship so he can continue uh, on his path towards an attempt at G1 greatness. And Yujiro really just trying to get on the board. So that's all I've got for you today. We've previewed all five of the G1 Climax A block matches on the October 5th card. 
We may be refreshed and ready after a few days off now, but the G1 Climax will have six cards over the next seven days, and I will be here to preview every single one of them as we go through the dog days of the G1. I'll be doing that in written form at VoicesOfWrestling.com and on audio form right here on either the Voices of Wrestling uh, podcast network or on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel. Of course, you can find this particular preview in written form at sportofprowrestling.com or voicesofwrestling.com, and you can give me a follow on Twitter at the Chris Sampsa to interact with me during most of these G1 shows. I appreciate you giving me a listen, and I will see you next time on the Sport of Pro Wrestling Podcast.